Hello, welcome to We Don't Talk About the Weather, political discussion that to the uninitiated major sound like coughing and dying. <laughs> I'm Adam and I'm here with you. Hello. And we're here to talk about this week's news. Mm. We've been away. We have been away. We had a number of things happen. Yeah. Um, all very suddenly, all at once. Yeah, first off, um, our noble comrade Dora. Yeah, went to uh, a great reward. Yeah, had to put down my dog and that was horrible and didn't particularly feel like recording <laughs> didn't particularly feel like doing anything yeah um it's right, the she's, horrible situation oh. now you know parting it up with Leica. yeah i don't know dogs good i think i'm pretty convinced dogs act like ghosts and they just sort of loiter around knocking things over um but i, I understand it i mean it's in the grundrisse that all dogs go to heaven <laughs> i thought so all dogs go to heaven so i've lived my life <laughs> um but yeah, it was a, it's a weird thing going to the vets to put your dog down and paying a man 500 quid saying thank you and then he murders your dog in front of you. <laughs> it's an odd situation to be in. Yeah. It wasn't fun. Um, how long have you had Dora? How long have you known Dora? She, she was 14. Oh. So yeah. But she'd lived a very long, happy life. She was a very happy dog. Yes, yeah. But then, and then after that, you got ill. Like yeah, super, was, like proper delirious. Got some like, great messages from you, like just not really making much sense. <laughs> yeah, fluey and ill all last week because that's like everybody at the minute. Yeah, just and, all going down. And then on Friday, got a new puppy. Oh yeah. <laughs> and that's why we're recording at the moment from the pleasure palace, the whiz palace, <laughs> my bedroom. We're recording side by side, looking into each other's eyes. Yep. Spread eagled on the bed, <laughs> completely naked. <laughs> it's like a kind of experimental chat show in the nineties on Channel Four. With a cat. And a cage in the corner. <laughs> yeah, there's a cage in the corner, that's for later. Cage full of puppy toys. <laughs> but yeah, so that's why we've been away. Um, but yeah, we're back now. Yeah, we're back. Back now, um, with a new comrade, Comrade Fitz. Comrade Fitz, yeah. Who's just sitting in the other room, kind of hassling the girls. I did notice that most of your toys seem to be like pig toys, capitalist pig toys. Yeah, he's a collie, I'm going to teach him to shepherd the capitalist class into the pens. <laughs> so they can be rendered down to their essential nutrients yeah. to feed the world down into the proletariat. beautiful raw puppy food to <laughs> give them such a glossy coat <laughs> they eat so much pate and drink so much champagne <laughs> all of them are like amazing coats they're like the foie gras geese they all hoard <laughs> yeah so that's what yeah okay so this week um, well the last couple of weeks the last couple of weeks god um it's weird. Uh, we've had some stuff on Brexit, which I think we'll space out our Brexit stuff because uh, suffice it to say suck. that like Theresa May seems to have had a big victory this week, although David Davis is doing his best to actually undo any sense of victory. Um, there's been a poll today that suggests from YouGov that suggests she's one point ahead. I don't think anybody really puts too much stock in it other than like media point scoring and Twitter yeah, point that's scoring the whole point. and stuff. It's when you've got nothing else to talk about. Um, yeah. I saw that um, James O'Brien said Theresa May has played a blinder. So, you oh, know, get God. ready for all the moaning, arsehole, liberal elite Ramonas to literally all tell everyone to vote S- Tory. Speaking of LBC, actually, you see um, Nick Ferrari won Journalist of the Year. At first, I thought, the message I sent you last night, I thought he just won um, Best Interview. He actually oh. won Journalist of the Year. Yeah, the man who used to run live TV won Journalist of the Year for being in a room when uh, an old woman forgot a number. <laughs> um, it, and then people say that journalism is dead. <laughs> How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> Um, I think you got, um, what's it, Aditya Chakrabarti? Aditya Chakrabarti. That's Yeah, has done really, really good reporting on Harringay, which we're going to yeah, talk about he later. He got a comment award. Yeah, he was quite, Yeah, he was a comment journalist of the year. And yeah, I mean, like, I don't know, amidst everything else, like, I listen to Nick Ferrari on a, not a regular basis, semi-regular basis in the morning. 
But all I will say about it is that when the book The Decline of the West is written, <laughs> that this is going to have its own footnote. There will be there will be lots of stuff about the topless news that he spearheaded at Live TV. I think this particular thing is going to be like <laughs> yeah. Ferrari Nick winner of <laughs> British yeah. Journalism Award page four five seven. He is pretty horrible. I used to I used to listen to him a lot. I've been getting up and sitting in the other room with a puppy at the moment, so I've been watching Good Morning Britain. Which is my new favourite thing. Wow. I it's, can't stand breakfast TV. Oh, but Good Morning like, Britain, it's, it's a whole bunch of people barely able to hide their disgust for Piers Morgan while he's not really in on the joke. Well, they wanted relatable like people during the morning. You know, you used to want the husband and wife combo. Now you just want a group of your friends who agree with you. I just It's our modern age. This morning I watched him with Alan Sugar and he managed to make me like Alan Sugar. <laughs> Piers Morgan is amazing. He can make anyone likeable. Literally anyone. We've talked. Have we talked before on the podcast about like that? Just the weirdness that is Piers Morgan. I don't think so. I don't think not in detail because like he's one of the weirdest figures. I think we'll save it for another episode. But he's just yeah. he is one of the weirdest figures that like he's just instantly dislikable and yet has this career. Yeah, it's it's inexplicable. It's career. utterly bizarre. It is funny on Twitter. Filled with a media says... industry full of people like that are completely inexplicable. Yeah, and he's worse than most of them. Yeah, like it'll yeah. be the standard thing on Twitter is he'll say someone's disgusting. And then people will just tweet him, you hacked a dead girl's fan. Mm. He's a monster. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so... Anyway, um, so our first topic, um, this is probably a couple of weeks out of date, but whatever we're going to talk about anyway. Uh, Donald Trump retweeting Britain First. <laughs> yeah. Britain First are great. Um, I love Britain First, and it you really... You voted for them, didn't you, last, last election? Um, well, I sent them a lot of money, which then <laughs> yeah. the treasurer... Cause we're, we're going to talk, because Britain First, they were, Nick Ferrari interviewed the the deputy head of Britain First. Huh. That was fun. Is it, what, Jada Franson, he interviewed yeah. her? Yeah. yeah. Um, and a lot of people did stuff like that, talking to them, mm. which you shouldn't really do. Yeah. We're going to talk about them, but we're going to talk about the more interesting things about them, like the fact that they had a bit of financial issues earlier this year, mm. when the treasurer ran away with the leader of Britain First, Mum. And he took all their money and he ran away to the Costa del Sol. <laughs> because of course he is, following genetic memory. <laughs> yeah, just, just ran away there. Um, <laughs> with the bloke's mum. So great. Um, they are. They were formed from... They were people who left the BNP because the BNP wasn't religious enough. Yeah, so... They're hardline Christians. Yeah, their, their founder was... They're the villains um, from um, Thingy. Um, Handmaid's Tale. But they're, so they're, more working class. Yeah, they're they're found. Uh, well, some they're of them, fa- are, some of them are, some of them are, but they're. I imagine the founder the people isn't. with money definitely. Yeah. Are. Um, I mean, their founder was a guy called Jim Dowson, who used to run run a um, a call center for the BNP in Belfast. Okay. So they're from. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, they're from that kind of ultra Christian yeah. wing of the BNP because BNP was this weird, like very. <laughs> I don't want to say the word broad church, but well, no, the BNP like, were they, the, they were, were the last refuge for anybody from like national Nash action, yeah. from political soldier, from all those far right groups, um, and all under one kind of umbrella organisation, which meant that they were constantly losing. And oh yeah, they hate, they hated Nick Griffin as well. They despised him yeah. because he wasn't, you know, in favour of just setting fire to every person. Well, he, tr- he tried to he tried to do the UKIP thing of putting like uh, suits onto that kind of like far-right bigotry and stuff like that, but it... Unfortunately, it, it, suits it, don't, don't hide neck tattoos. <laughs> Not these neck tattoos. Yeah. <laughs> Not these shirts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, that, I think he, 
<laughs> just him walking into like a scout hut. It's like, come on, boys, I've got an idea to like to change our image. I bought us all some nice ironed brown shirts. <laughs> uh, no, no, some uh, black shirt. No, not black. Uh, blue. Uh, no, it was, Roma- was it Romania. It was Romania. <laughs> Clean white shirt. Silver. <laughs> silver. I think shirt. the silver shirts were like something. Like, it's off the top of my head. I think they were like a thirties far right group in one of the Central or Eastern European countries. It's silver shirts. Yeah. Like I think they were the silver shirt. Like a I Miami party goer. Yeah, this is not a fact check podcast. I Why love the idea of like silver, shiny silver I'm shirts? I'm assuming by silver they meant austerity grey. No, in my head it's like very shiny silver. <laughs> Bright silver. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So they were like, because um, yeah, yeah, so, so they, the they, BNP they was a was a broad church. Yeah. And the Brit, and so they were never going to last forever. No, but they also creamed off. They kind of creamed off the best and the brightest <laughs> from the EDL. Yeah. And the EDL's focus was always that kind of ah, oh, we're not like uh, alternate times. We're not anti-Muslim. We're anti-extremist. Mm. Actually, we are anti-Muslim. Actually, we're not far right, but we are very, very far right. <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. And they creamed off whoever because at their height, I mean, EDL probably had about. 30, I think they had about 30,000 people yeah. um, turning up on like days of action or whatever. Always swamped but by people. But that never lasts long. It, it, doesn't la- it didn't last long because it wasn't going to change because they, would never, they were never even close to state power. They existed of to course. make Muslims and people of colour feel yeah. awkward. Which of course, the BBC them helped victory. them last longer with giving them nice documentaries and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Obviously, Tommy Robinson being the media superstar that he is mm. really knew how to manipulate the media. <laughs> Did you see that video of him... Um, the other day, um, where he's convinced that police are following him, he goes past. It's like, oh, I've been, fo- I've been followed by police all day. And Probably he goes just up, bailiffs. He goes up. He goes up to the, the window, yeah, um, of, a, of this um, police car, and uh, they're like, oh, why are you following me like all day? And they're like, I've no idea who you are. <laughs> but like, if he's being followed, he's being followed by bailiffs because that was like why he went to prison before was because of financial stuff. Yeah. And why did the BNP fall apart? It was in yeah. the end. It was financial stuff. Mm. And what's the f- um. What's the thing that's going to finally put an end to Britain first? It'll be financial stuff. Yeah. Um, saw that even after being retweeted by Donald Trump, they can't. They couldn't get more than like they had to cancel a march in Belfast because they only had like four people say that were going to turn up. <laughs> yeah. Oh no! The best one was it was they. They said that when they get um, oh, what was it that when they get forty thousand likes for an event. Oh yeah, they'll only on have Facebook because like, like that's the that's the big thing about Britain first. For whatever reason, I don't think it's particularly like smart, but they have worked out a way of getting their algorithm, they're manipulating the Facebook algorithms so that their events get pushed and mm. to the top of like quite a lot of feeds. Mm. I have no idea how that would work, but they've got a huge um, like following yeah. on on Facebook, which they don't have on Twitter, and most importantly, they don't have in any vote or election that's ever been held they get you know no votes oh they get fuck all but um they reckoned that uh, if forty thousand people liked their um post on facebook that they would get about one in every thousand so 40 people (laughs) turn up yeah and they cancelled their um one of their events because i think it was um it they worked out that 1.9 people would turn up (laughs) just well done well done yeah they are I did see they were posting. I think it was in Luton. They were marching around with wooden crucifixes. Yeah, they can't. They can't. Um, they Pro, they, they can't they do st- any kind of event, really. They still have that. They have their um, their attempts to kind of mirror what they see as like the Sharia takeover of Britain. Yeah. So it's. 
they only do things, they are proper reactionaries in the true sense of the word, mm. because they only ever react to whatever myths about Muslims come mm. about. So if they hear about a Sharia patrol, mm. you know, people patrolling they do through Walthamstow, they do their Christian patrol. Yeah. You know, if they hear about, like, um, some myth about, like, a Muslim storming into a Gurdwara or a, a temple or a church yeah. or something, they storm into into mosques and... <laughs> they storm into a Gurdwara and yeah. turn it to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> If they hear about rape gangs in Rotherham, they just they set up their own rival rape gangs. <laughs> I mean, the, hor- the horrible thing about it as well is that all of their stuff about halal and all of their like all of their stuff about like cultural manifestations of what they see as an encroaching Sharia mm. um, is far more easily implemented and weaponized by the media. Mm. In many ways, Britain First are obsolete because they actually don't need people no. on the ground. If that Thomas, uh, what was his name, the, Thomas, Mayer. Thomas Mayer, if he the was... Thomas Mayer proved thing proved anything you actually all you need is a kind of dog whistle media and mm. one man with mental health issues yeah to get more kind of progress in there a lot along like what they want to see yeah totally. than you would ever need with an organized political political faction yeah so they're like they're slowly dwindling down but yeah they've got a weird kind of resuscitation almost i don't know what effect it'll have on them by being then putting up videos um, and then being retweeted by the dis- president in the middle of the night. Providence and being, dis- being retweeted by Donald Trump. But it's just so funny. It's so great. It does make me, it does make me really laugh, because they are, they are nothing. Like, you saw a mar- well, an attempted march of theirs in Rochester, um, didn't you? So, yeah, that, so that was their kind of big coming-out party as far as elections were concerned. They stood when um, Mark, Mark Reckless. Reckless defected to UKIP, mm. and they held a by-election in Rochester and Strood where... Um, I mean, that wouldn't be your constituency, would it? You'd be Chat- Chatham and Ellsworth? Yeah, that was my mum's one, yeah, Chatham and Ellsworth. Um, but, like, my local constituency would be Rochester and Strood. Yeah. And I was coming down to see my mum, and uh, I stepped out of the station. There were a load of guys in green fleeces everywhere, surrounded by... So you assumed they were the scouts. Yeah, they did the whole flag ceremony as well. That's the weird thing about Britain First. They're very anachronistic. They're not, like... Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, Like they're the same guys who are going and getting liquored up in the pub before yeah. going on a march yeah. with the, the idea that they're going to be the hard men. Yeah. But they've all got the same kind of political uniforms on, those green fleeces, and they're doing like flag ceremonies in the middle of the street outside the station, outside of Old Rochester Station, where, where it used to be, down the high street. The, bit, the Old Rochester Station, which was uh, like... It was a dead end. It, it was, was a, a little alleyway yeah. and that led down to a station. And they would sit, like, they went down, back down, and they were surrounded by people. Were they marching and doing a flag ceremony by the taxi rank? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no, it was actually out in the middle of the road because police had cut, closed off the road because uh-huh. they were hemmed in on three sides by, um, like, uh, Antifa. Yeah. Like, anti-fascists. At, including one... <laughs> <laughs> one old guy who'd brought along a boombox and started playing Wagner at them really loud. He's like, I bet you love this, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty great. It was pretty funny. They, yeah, they got um, they got handily stopped and they get handily stopped wherever they do, so wherever they go. So naturally they would go, they would aim themselves at unoccupied mosques rather than actually trying to do any kind of show of strength or anything like that. Yeah. 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 It does. It, the They're just is, the most prominent manifestation of the thing that's always boiling under the surface. Yeah, it's it's just. Uh, it does make your skin crawl. Um, more the the level of sh- the thing that makes my skin crawl is not their existence. It's the fact that all they did and all Donald Trump retweeted 
was stuff that the mainstream media has literally done more expertly. Yeah. Like, they're just sloppy. It's the stuff that, the kind of stuff they retweeted. So there's one particular thing that I do remember from the ones that he retweeted, which was the image of, um, like, the only thing you can take from it is that uh, uh, a person of colour is fighting with a white person. On crutches. And they say, on crutches, and they say it's in Holland. Yeah. I think somebody did some fact-checking and it, and it turned out that they were both born in the Netherlands. Yeah, the, it um, wasn't the Dutch any particular did it, and thing. it was like, no, they're just Dutch. It was just one of those like fight videos that are everywhere on the internet. Yeah. But that's the kind of thing. Someone like the Daily Mail would never put that on their paper. They'd never no. make a big deal out of it. However, they would put it in their sidebar on the website. Yeah. And they would write a little spiel at the bottom, and this appears to show, and then they frame the thing. Yeah. Now, it's, it's one thing. Mm. It's one thing that's easily fact-checkable. But when you've got... 20 of those a day hmm. and they're not just making their way around the Daily Mail website they're making their way around well Facebook hmm. and Twitter and things like that yeah that's where those ideas get their power from hmm. you know this plane sounds super loud does it really? yeah windows open it's alright people can deal with the sound of, stra- of planes going to Stansted <laughs> yeah but yeah it's um, I reckon then they'll probably try and put up some more people in the next election. I just think it's really kind of funny that even with Donald Trump's tacit support, they get fuck all. <laughs> it's just hilarious. Mm. It's like you can't even muster up some right-wing Christians in Northern Ireland. <laughs> Jesus. Well, they're all taken by the people in government. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> they've all signed a deal with the Tories, yeah. <laughs> uh, so what are we on to yeah. next? Um, so, yeah, well, the other thing I wanted to, to <clears> talk about this week... Um, so last couple of weeks have been rife with kind of I don't want to say labour infighting so it's um, Momentum are taking the obvious next step which I've thought was a really good idea for a long time Um, like addressing local councils Mm. addressing their membership clearing out local parties well fixing local parties and fixing local councils like um, yeah not um, fixing in the uh, like betting sense. Fixing in making better. Yeah, like um, my wife's a member of the Labour Party, and she's been at stuff at the Walthamstow, like the uh, their annual meetings and stuff like that with them. Yeah, putting more momentumy people on the ticket. Yeah, um, because well, it should like it was like that um the summer of Labour thing. It's just the shock and disgust on yeah. yeah the shock and disgust on Blairites faces when. Oh look, these people—they came out to help me get elected, but then they turned up to the meetings, <laughs> and that's what's been going on in Harringay, isn't it? Yeah, They've been turning up to the meetings now. That's been the most recent thing, and like, it's—it's it's just it, it, there's a lot of like bad faith arguments going around about momentum thugs and the kind of subverting of the democratic process when actually like having more members and having them mm. turn up to vote and having a vote and then abiding by the result of the vote tends to be democratic. Mm. Um, tends to be the better kind of outcome for those things, and mm. I don't think I think like actually for for once as, we, as we're going to talk about in a, a sec with uh, Harringay, for once it's actually not just in order to shore up a particular set of personalities. I think people really like Corbyn, mm. and there 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 is a like a real appreciation for who he is and mm. his like his stance in mm. politics. But actually, for once, like it does seem to be a lot of people who actually want to make things better. Yeah, 
that's their their mm. goal. Their goal is not to get necessarily to get a loyalist in, mm. but to support a particular program, which yeah. is that's good. That's everything you want. I mean, to hear to hear some of the like the the Blairites talk. Luke Akers has been going on for mm. like two weeks now about how he's leading the fight back and how we'll never be elected unless we get the elected. Basically, the same thing they were saying before the yeah. general election. I've met a lot of these Stalinist Trotskyite folks at the Wolfenstone. Well, I don't go to the because I'm not in the Labour Party, but I go to the pub afterwards. And they don't seem like fucks to me. There's a really nice old woman mm. <laughs> who looks like some who looks like the old woman from um, Sunset Boulevard. They say thugs because they've had supreme power in the party ever. S- they, they say they're thugs because they've had supreme power in the party mm. since probably 1994. Yeah, and a lot of them have made careers out of it. And yeah. these careers are now under threat because they've squandered the power they've been given and the trust they've been given. And they've made like, the people who live in those council areas and those constituencies worse. It's not exactly surprising that there would be a reaction it's to a, that. It's hilarious that, they, that their knee-jerk reaction is to just go for old-school McCarthyite Red Scare shit. Oh, yeah. And it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to work. Well, it was, it was Blair's, Blair's experiment was to get the old Reds out of the party mm. to... At the, ver- at the very least, silence them. Mm. Like he did, like frankly, he did with Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell. Mm. Kept them in the back benches and, and kept them kept them quiet so that he could have his agenda done. Somebody was talking about um, uh, momentum. I've never seen like an organisation, like an entryist organisation, coming into the party and changing it, you know, just right from under the members' noses. And like it's progress. like, what do you think fucking progress is? Yeah. Progress is literally that for yeah. Tony Blair. They did exactly the same thing. Yeah. They uh, rigged MP selections. They um, made sure that the majority of left-wing members were silenced mm. and were disenfranchised. And this is the fucking payback you get. Yeah. And the best thing is, I don't even think they're doing momentum are doing it with a bad will. I no, think they're if not. Somebody they're came, not. If somebody came round and actually voted for good stuff, they'd probably make a, an agreement with them. They'd probably mm. make a, you know, have a have a kind of understanding. Well, yeah, I don't think they're cheating. They're like, not. They're not. They're specifically not cheating. Yeah, there's stuff I've heard about what's going on with um, like the Wolfhamso CLP, mm. that like I can't really talk about on here because legally there's a lot of legal stuff going on, uh, but yeah. um, it's just sketchy as all hell. Mm. And like you have that like um, where was the one with the, where they were letting members re up on the door for a vote. That was, um, I want that to say that was Haringey. It might have been. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Haringey at the beginning of this process. Yeah, where they were electing um, uh, chairs of various positions. Yeah, like treasurer and, and all that kind of crap. They were allowing um, lapsed members, lapsed members, to come in and register on the door for a tenor. Yeah, when they had already. Bear in mind, there are still people purged from the Labour Party for you know doing things like tweeting about Stalin. Or tweet. No, worse than or, that, tweeting about the Green Party. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's disingenuous to such a massive degree mm. that I think everybody except anybody who kind of uses their common sense or has been around people for more than five minutes mm. knows that it's not true. Mm. But naturally, media kind of yeah. lead with the the narrative that they've already been they've already been used to. Even people who don't remember, like militant mm. with councils, 
And also remember, like, militant were nowhere near as prominent as people seem to remember. Oh, I think were... it drove, like, the Labour Party to the brink of death. There weren't, and that, like... there weren't that many militant members on Liverpool Council. No. Or in the Labour Party themselves. No. They were vocal, but they yeah. were never, like, they never threatened to tank the party. What no. tanked the party was the moderates. Yeah. Because the moderates were in charge. Jim Callaghan was yeah. a right-wing mm. member of, the, like, leader of the Labour Party. It's it's just let's go on with what's going on with Hangry because I don't know too much about what's what's going on with Hangry. What's more interesting about Haringey is that there's a very specific local issue that's animating this this focus on on Haringey. Is it to do with housing? It is to do with housing. Yes. So um, Haringey is one of the poorest boroughs in the country. I think it's one of the 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 bottom five percent poorest boroughs in the country. Okay. Um, uh, in 2011, when uh, the riots happened, all of that all kicked off in, in Tottenham. Yeah, like all around um, Green Lanes, I saw a lot of that stuff. Um, after the riots, uh, representatives from Haringey Council, which oversees a lot of Tottenham, went out and spoke to people about what they could do to regenerate the area. Hmm. And people were asked, uh, do you want more green space? Do you want more housing? And of course, look, they said yes. Yes, please. Yes, we would like. And the idea was, what do we do to stop this from ever happening again? Um, the Labour-run council came up with this idea called the Haringey Development Vehicle, right? It's a 20-year project. Sorry, so you said Haringey Development Vehicle. All I can think is, you know in um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the cartoon, Mm -hmm. where there's the big round tank thing that Krang drives around in, (laughs) driving around, tearing down old blocks of flats and replacing them with high-value flats? (laughs) Do you mean the Technodrome? Yes. Yes, I do mean that. It is. It's a giant. It's a giant metal ball with an eyeball on top. Yeah. It's got uh, forks on the side. That's yep. for the satellite TV, which you. It looks for profitable social housing, and it tears it down and replaces it with glass and steel monstrosities with a veranda. <laughs> um, this thing is a twenty-year project to build six thousand four hundred homes worth a total of four billion pounds. If all the first hu- first phase homes are sold, the council thinks it will make a profit of about two hundred and seventy-five million pounds. Um, they also estimate that the development will increase its council tax and business rate take by £13 million a year. Northumberland Park and Broadwater Farm of Broadwater <laughs> Riots fame, yeah. are both slated to be demolished and rebuilt. Hmm. Have you heard this before? If you have any hmm. knowledge of London or council housing, council estates in general, yeah. you will have heard this tune a lot before. Yeah. Um, it's a 50-50 joint venture with a company called Lendlease. So they're going to... I've seen them. Yes. I have heard of them. More of them later. (laughs) (laughs) They've been set up to manage the project. Uh, In the first phase, Haringey will transfer 36 hectares of land and property into the HGV, and the value of the land being transferred by the council in that first phase is about £80 million. They're also placing its £45 million commercial property portfolio inside the Haringey development vehicle. On its side, Lendlease can choose whether to match the council's asset assets with cash or loan notes basically IOUs it'll be IOUs won't it uh, so only cash will actually allow Lendlease to take an equity stake in the company so the only hmm. way that they'll get returns on it is if they put in they can safeguard how much hmm. and then add cash later but if they want to draw any money out of it any any ownership out of it they mm-hmm. have to pay in cash um, Figures when they say that, I know they don't mean literally cash in bags with like a pound sign on it. Yeah, yeah. But in my head, that is always what it fucking is, is in that, the, any of these kind of deals. Oh, yeah, it's exactly that, the same as um, our friends in the north with all the dodgy, um, all the dodgy houses. It's literally stuff. briefcases <coughs> or swag bags. Yeah, holidays <laughs> to um, Benidorm. Um, there's been a load of sketchy stuff around this. It's really been shoehorned in by, I remind you again, a Labour-run council. Hmm. Um, 
Claire Cober um, has been uh, defending the plan. On their website, Haringey Council have a whole like FAQ section hmm. where they literally just defend Lendlease. Lendlease <laughs> were also the company. Um, they do a lot of these kind of partnership deals with local councils to redevelop in, hmm. in inverted commas areas. And they do a lot of it around the world. They've been involved in um, uh, f- uh, fraud in New York. They had to pay millions of dollars in fines. <laughs> They've been involved in weird kind of building regulation, shifty building regulation stuff in um, Melbourne. Okay, sounds about right. So they did that kind of stuff. Um, the council's own scrutiny committee twice this year called for an immediate halt. Both times it was just ignored by Claire Cober, who's the leader of Haringey Council. Yeah. Only a week before Cobra's cabinet voted on the scheme in July, her team dumped 1,400 pages of documents in the public domain. Councillors and the public alike had just five working days to digest (laughs) the legalese, the bureaucrat speak and the appendices that would determine the future of more than a quarter of a million people. (laughs) (laughs) In July, there was another one of these public consultation meetings. A number of damaging admissions came out. One of Cobra's lieutenants admitted that the new HDV estates could fit poor doors which are, if you don't know, are separate doors for social yeah. housing residents so as not to spoil the lobby feel, the hotel feel, of the main entrances that are built for the Richies. Yeah. Um, it passed despite opposition from the Labour's, from the area's two MPs and its two constituency Labour parties. And despite Corbyn making clear at last month's party conference that the plan of this Labour council would be impossible under a Labour, Labour government, it still continued. Uh, the council expects to spend more than £2 million it admits to have already spending, uh, having spent ninety thousand pounds on lawyers for um, each week's each each week's hearings. Jesus. Per week, there's also been some really damaging um, revelations about the fact that a lot of the council regeneration committee were taken to Cannes <laughs> for a developers conference, which was where they, they announced the deal. They're too fucking stupid to even like wait and come back and hide. All of this had to be revealed by a freedom of information request. By yeah, the way. of course it did. They informed Lendlease that they had won the bid <laughs> based in Cannes while they were being entertained by Lendlease. Oh, this is so great. <laughs> oh. um, a few weeks ago, it emerged that three council representatives had been meeting Lendlease as part of what had been what was called the Shadow Board. <laughs> that sounds fine. These meetings began taking place months before the cabinet actually approved the scheme. Many councillors were told nothing of the board's existence. They found out through a uh, freedom of information request. Uh, in, uh, they explained that the, uh, sh- the existence of this shadow board had been disclosed in cabinet papers in February. And in the 650-page six, bundle, there's one solitary mention of the shadow board. Press officers said that the, it had no formal status. And they said the councillors hadn't been told of it exist, its existence as it was pretty boring stuff. <laughs> the, the shadow board <laughs> it's fine, it's boring um, the actual plan itself it makes no mention of building new social housing even though they promised that I think it was 25% will mm. be social housing there's no actual mention of social housing at all in the original report um, uh, oh, Coba had promised that 40% of new homes would be um, affordable Northumberland Park will be demolished. That's uh, like about a thousand homes. Mm. They're going to be replaced by five thousand homes, the vast majority for sale or private rent. Mm. According to the Freedom of Information response, only thirty-one percent of new homes are going to be designated as affordable, and Which? it makes no explicit provision at all 
which for social rent housing people already know that affordable doesn't mean affordable yeah and especially not in Haringey yeah for people who live in Haringey just as a as a um uh, uh like clarification that 40 and 31 percent mm. that's for affordable housing mm. not that's not social. for social rent housing that's yeah. not for council housing yeah you know and in the meantime all of the uh social housing residents are going to be and this is such a sweet phrase decanted oh which is what you do to wine when you want it to breathe. You let where, it out of its bottles so they that oxygen... Uh, I don't know. They are going to put them somewhere else. They've been promised that they can all return. You know, <laughs> promises. It, send them to Chingford, where all the white people who used to live there who ran away when all the brown people moved in. <laughs> and now they vote, you know, they constantly vote for right-wing governments. They can have a nice gift. Um, <clears throat> one of the reasons why people are very, very rightly suspicious of the Harringay yeah. development vehicle is because Lendlease were the people who redid Elephant and Castle, uh-huh. the Haygate Estate. Uh-huh. Haygate Estate was, I think that was green. That was greenlit in two thousand and two, and they finally finished it. I think two thousand and fourteen, two thousand fifteen, maybe. They let me just see. Um, Lendlease demolished and rebuilt Haygate Estate, allotting just 25% as affordable housing. Again, that's affordable housing, mm. not council housing. Of the 2,500 homes provided on the redeveloped estate, just oh, just 82 have their rents set at uh, social rent levels. Mm. Um, there's a really fascinating Vice article um, on, the, on the Haygate Estate because it made uh, headlines, I think it was last year or the year before, because 100% of all of the available homes were snapped up by foreign investors. All of them. Like, yeah. Not not one yeah. was for the people who actually lived there. Yeah. But like, they will be rented out. That's fucking ridiculous. In the uh, in the kind of intervening years, but after the pro- after the Haygate project was greenlit, Southwark Council cut off heating, switched off the lifts, leaving tenants, council taxpayers, stranded. Those residents who owned their own properties were served compulsory purchase notices notices for insultingly low sums. At that time, a local one-bed flat could be bought for £300,000, yet Southwark Council offered just £80,000 for mm. some of the flats. Mm-hmm. Another resident, a teacher, was offered £225,000 for his three-bed three bed ground-floor maisonette. The equivalent on the new estate would set him back a million pounds. <laughs> Lendley's made approximately £200 million profit from that. So, it's not surprising that people are suspicious of this and why people are trying to change the the constitution of the Haringey council yeah and get rid of the shitty labor people and replacing them with hopefully better ones well, claire claire cobra's um defense of it and she's obviously spent loads and loads of money on stopping freedom of information requests mm. legal action to try and stymie any legal action on the on the uh, part of the residents mm. the technodrome to you know uh, yeah she, she is the down. outer armour of the Technodrome. <laughs> hmm. What's so disgusting about it is that it, like, it really just hit me that it's like, oh, Haringey Council is literally just a PR department yeah. for Lendlease. Yeah. This massive fucking gentr- gentrification company. Hmm. There's a load of money to be made out of the housing market. It's hmm. not going to go away, the amount of money that's in there. Hmm. So at some point, like the Tories aren't going aren't gonna to do anything about the... What are you doing? Yeah, it's just a cat. Just ignore the cat. The Tories aren't going to do anything. <laughs> There's a huge housing problem in London. Um, the Tories are probably know that the housing bubble is going to burst, mm. but are so stuck in such a shit position that they cannot possibly do anything about it. Mm. 
they're just going to keep it pumped up and they're going to not even attempt to deflate it. In fact, and things like this, they're probably going to make it make those kind of pr the house prices rise faster. Yeah. Um, what's amazing about this is that it's a Labour council, and Claire Cober is defending it, and like her response is always, "Oh well, you know, we've got no other way of building houses." Yeah. And to a certain extent, that's true. I think councils can borrow from something called the Public Works Fund. Mm. But they can only borrow a certain amount. Now, that's set by central government. I yeah. don't in any way think that like the choices that are presented to councillors are not completely rigged to make all of the yeah. choices, to abdicate the responsibility on part of central government yeah. and put it into the hands of local government that is closer and can come in for more criticism. Yeah. Especially when you're a Labour council and you know most of the poorest areas are, yeah, are Labour councils. But this kind of like willingness to just give all of these interests all of these like responsibilities under private interests. Mm. They're it's given fucking disgusting. They're Not in a situation bothering... where very few good there's it's very hard to make the right yeah. decision that's good for everyone. Mm -hmm. But it seems every time they just skip along with the worst one that makes them the most money. Yeah. Um, it's the it's kind of like the law. It, it is representative of like the fact that Blairism has no more ideas left. Mm. That moderate left. That you're getting distracted by the cat. I am. So Sorry, we cut this bit out. <laughs> no, no, I'm keeping the cat. I like the cat. You have a very loud cat. I do have a very loud cat. She's lovely. Why is she growling at the wall? Um, she's just trying to find a comfortable spot. She hasn't been onto the other side of the house since we got the puppy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. She just Every day she has a look at it and goes, Fine. nope, not today. I'll cut her a little slack. <laughs> okay, carry on. Um, it's just the kind of like fall of that Blairite idea that you can kind of accommodate government. You can get the best out of capitalism hmm. and private companies and you can combine that with the social welfare concerns of, of the state. But they've and given up on the social that. welfare stuff. But they've, they've, well, they've given it up on it entirely. Hmm. Hence, you've got this kind of, there's no alternative um, attitude from them. No. And like, yeah, they're doing really well out of it. But like that aside, they're doing very well personally out of it. But that aside, it's just the... They have. They've just got such, so few ideas about how to mm. improve that mm. and how to to make it better. And it's like the idea that, oh, there's that you know there's no alternative. And don't worry, the fifty fifty the Harringay development deal. This isn't going to be like Elephant Castle. They actually mention it on the website. In this it's going to be like not going to be like don't a last worry, It's going to be completely different. And it's mm. like yeah, but if it isn't completely different, if yeah. it is the same as it's been every other time, mm. even if we give you the benefit of the doubt, after it's gone through, what the fuck are we going to do? Yeah. They, like, yeah there's, no, there's no transparency, there's no democracy there, there's no actual like people decision-making. Mm. And that's what it boils down to with a lot of those local councils mm. and ties in with the momentum thing, mm. is that the thing that they're most scared of is actually allowing ordinary people in to have a voice, have a vote. Oh, they do hate it. After the initial consultations in that are required by law, they just cut it straight off. Yeah, was it um the was it Jane Merrick who in the last was a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago, mm. where um she I think it was her who was complaining about um people essentially people being involved in politics, and then in two thousand fifteen she wrote an article talking about how the problem is not enough people are involved in politics. Oh, wasn't it um? Was it Jane Merrick? No, was it, it wasn't. It was Maria Hind. Yes. Marina Hind. Marina Hind. Yeah. yeah. So and she was like, um, 
politics, people who picked up politics after 2015 are kind of like people who picked up football after 1990, which is great for two reasons. A, applying authentocracy politi- uh, like authentocracy like language yeah. to politics is wow, makes me kiss my fingers. <laughs> two, only somebody of her age and her particular class would regard people picking up football after 1990 as something like particularly like massive like oh mm. 1990 I've, everyone remembers Italia 90 I did pick up football like got slightly interested in football my interest in football kind of waxes and wanes but I did pick up football after 1990 do you know why because I was 6 I'm 33 now <laughs> basically anybody below the age of 40 their formative experience probably was around 1990 if they picked up that kind of thing yeah. it's fucking ridiculous it's so tone deaf mm. but then yeah it was then in 2015 she was complaining about how not enough people are involved in politics yeah but yeah, um, they are completely bereft of ideas, yeah. as shown by we're at that time of. It seems like it's not even like that time of year or that time of the month. It's that part of the fortnight where someone writes an article about how. <laughs> here we go. We in Britain desperately need a new political party in the Emmanuel Macron mould. Oh. Then has a lovely picture of beautiful Jupiterian Emmanuel Macron, wearing not Jupiterian purple but high vis yellow. <laughs> and thinking, pensively thinking. The sun technocrat. <laughs> but it's yeah, it's happened again. They've done it again. Yeah. But this one is a particularly good article. It's essentially because uh, we were talking about this earlier on, and it was like, oh, we can't really do and read another and laugh at another article about people, somebody wanting to like set up a technocrat, centrist, pro-Europe mm. party because there have been. As far as I can work out, 15 parties of that description set up today <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> but um, this article, I'm not going to read the whole thing out. I'm going to give you some highlights. Um, so it starts off with saying that the Labour Party is dead. It's completely dead. It's been killed by Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell and every, all the moderate MPs who've gone along with it. When I read that this morning, I had to keep cycling up to the date hmm, to, to see, see what it was. Yeah. Because this is pure like June 2017. Yeah, but this was written level. 16 hours ago. Fuck. <laughs> um, yeah, to collaborate has been to legitimise. To fail to condemn and ceaselessly oppose has been to wield the knife on the thing you claim to love. Stephen Kinnock's never loved anything. You can see it in his eyes. None of them have ever loved anything. Um, saying that you know that, that Labour's dying, and by the next election, it won't exist. It, not in the traditional for its traditional form as a broad-based movement for social democracy. Because you know what, it's now got. It's now isn't it the largest party in Europe? I think it is. Yeah. Approaching yeah. nine hundred thousand members, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Um, that was a that was a while ago. That could have completely changed, but yeah, that was the last figure I saw. There's some complaining about momentum. People, you know, getting rid of people in constituency parties As, and councillors. Yeah. Like we were talking, like we were talking about. Um, Why would you be so invested in that? No, um, constantly calls them trots. They're not trots. They're not trots. Um, some of them are. Um, I'm sure some of them have been. Um, Seamus Milne a trot, or is he a tanky? Well, Seamus Milne used to be. No, he's um, he's a tanky. Yeah. He's a, he was. Oh more, yeah, shit. Because yeah, because um, some of the, the criticism is so, yeah. like um, some of his stuff in Bosnia. But you know, there's nothing wrong with tankies. Some of them are right. Um, Pointing in the right direction. Tanks are very useful. <laughs> um, but then he gets to in the new party, and then in brackets because this is um, he's this is a, the Scottish Herald. Um, in the new party, and in brackets, for the purposes of this column, let's set aside Scotland's constitutional divisions. It's like. <laughs> Okay, so this thing complicates this, my thing so much that it makes it non-existent. So this, let's pretend it doesn't exist. Yes, in this new party, let's pretend the SNP are the thing. Um, <laughs> uh, 
um, in in this new party, they were um, <clears throat> it's talking about how all the people, all the like oddballs who, all the people who are left and are uh, politically homeless, they'll find themselves among friends, open liberal types who believe as they do that society has become too unequal and that the free market economy is not working the way it should. The solutions to these problems can be found, but they will not come from the pages of Marx or through mass nationalisation or penurious taxes. Penurious? Penurious, yeah. yeah. They will be people who have struggled to make their peace with Brexit and who have watched the cynical contortions of the left and right in recent months with dripping contempt. First off, none of these people are ever going to make their peace with Brexit. They are going to be... They are no different to UKIP and they will lose their minds forever complaining about Brexit. People who are going to be part of this centrist party. I I don't think that if, if the tone around media circles has been anything in the past 48 hours or so maybe a bit longer no gee that's a good point um, yeah, the james the past, o'brien let's say thing the past about four, yeah. four days or so they will make their peace as soon mm. as there's a slightly softer brexit which mm. there probably will be because they the capitalists mm. in this country cannot do without mm. the institutions that the eu set up yeah james o'brien's a good like weather they, for yeah. which way is the obnoxious bellend upper middle class Intelligentsia going to vote, and what their what's their current excuse for not voting for the Labour Party? For all of their fucking like blood and thunder rhetoric hmm. around this stuff, they will roll over the second, the second that they get told what Brexit actually is. Yeah. Do you know what? Even if it's a hard Brexit, yeah, because they like the rules anyway. One year in, they'll fucking roll over hmm. because the class structure of this country will not change so that their priorities change. Hmm. Their priorities are not left wing priorities. Hmm. So. Fuck it. Mm. Who gives a shit about them? It will be a community of souls who agree that the state has an active role to play in delivering the common good and protecting the vulnerable, but who understand that personal responsibility and individual freedom are equally important. Just like Tony Blair. (laughs) (laughs) They will not buy into the utopian plans of middle-class, middle-aged revolutionaries and their ignorant young helpers. What? Or magic money trees or or a brazier politics that obsesses over the struggle, the unions, the comrades. Sorry, sorry, read that middle class line again. They will not buy into the utopian plans of middle class, middle aged revolutionaries and their ignorant young helpers. Right, right. So, centrist pro Europeans Hmm. are middle aged, middle class, Hmm. and they say that the EU is their utopia. Hmm. What the fuck? No, that is specifically, it's the Helen Lewis thing of how dare you make it so people can go to university for free. How the fuck... I love, like, there was a tweet about that. I honestly can't remember who did it, but there was a tweet the other day um, that was like, uh, uh, Jeremy Corbyn says, well, maybe we should, uh, you know, give children free school lunches. Whoa, whoa there. Yeah. Whoa there, Zeus. You can't just <laughs> do things. And then, like, a year later, uh, six months later, they're like, uh, Jeremy, stop Brexit. Stop Brexit now, yeah. please. From opposition. Yep, I don't care you're on opposition. Why wouldn't you stop Brexit? Why hasn't Brexit stopped yet? No, the... The fucking gall of these people, middle class, Hmm. middle aged intellectuals, Jesus. (laughs) Um, Then there's some complaining about um, people who work with Russia, people who make complaining about Corbynites making excuses for Venezuela. These people look like they were born in suits. Um, complaining about oh, um, people who make excuses for Venezuela, where the equivalent of Corbynites are banning opposition parties, abolishing democracy, and creating a dictatorship. I've created a dictatorship. They've been like people like this bloke. Who is it who said this? 
Who wrote this article? It doesn't matter. They're all the same. Um, Momentum thugs deselecting councils democratically. This is surely well, the, the last. They're cast. complaining about Venezuela creating a dictatorship. They've been. They were complaining about Hugo Chavez being a dictator for years. So what kind of dictator was he? One that, from a dictatorship that didn't exist. Oh, just like <laughs> and also, so this is how democracy dies. Not with a bang, but with some democracy. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh look at them voting for a voting for a dictator. Um, oh, there'll be people who believe. There'll be people who believe in people rather than in a theoretical political and economic system that operates like an ever-tightening vice and has brought misery, violence and impoverishment wherever it has been tried, neoliberalism. What, the EU? <laughs> yes. I mean, literally the EU. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I know that's like overstating the, the thing, but the whole, like, stre- like that's the rhetoric. You're right about the Brexit, the, mm. them being the mirror image of the, the really hardcore Brexit mm. people because that's exactly the kind of imagery yeah. that they use. What are they being strangled by? What are these middle it's class about to get better. fucks this being strangled? This is about to get a really good line. They will understand that sometimes dropping bombs is the lesser evil at a painful cost of global good citizenship. Of course. It always... I can't walk down... Look, I am a positive role model in my community. I, I try and work for my community wherever I can. I can't help if I just punch people as I go <laughs> past them. Well, no, like, it's the kind of sometimes person that... that's what you have to do. You have to throw down fists <laughs> it's the with kind of... everybody around you. It's the kind of person that, you know, they've never been in a fight and they're counting off the days until they're old enough where they can justifiably join the neighbourhood watch. <laughs> um, I've got another cat now. I have never seen people who ask to see the manager harder than these people. <laughs> Fuck's yeah. sake. Um, there's then there's some stuff about how you don't have to just be a member of the Labour Party. There's a bit where he's like, if you've managed to read this five out, throwing the newspaper or your laptop across the room, you're probably one of these people. I didn't. The reason why I was able to read all of that is I read almost all of the Wheel of Time series. I can handle anything. <laughs> His rambling fucking sentences are like nothing <laughs> to me. Um, but you know, so you can don't you not have to get be done a... for plagiarism because I feel like I've read this fourteen <laughs> times before. Yeah. Um, you needn't be a mem- you needn't be a Labour person. You might be of the centre right, and have come to the conclusion that you can't, you shouldn't oh, be sharing a house yeah, space. Yeah, the centre right, well known for valuing the role of the state in improving people's lives. Yep. Yeah, um, the centre right, they love that stuff. Here we go. Here's where the bet where it gets real good. When you think about it, there will be a new party. Its lack is unsustainable. If you're not sure whether it's for you, here are some of the sort of people it should include: David Miliband. John Major. John Major? Ruth Davidson. Tony Blair. David Cameron. Yvette Cooper. Nick Clegg. Anna Subri. George Osborne. Nicky Morgan. Ken Clark. Peter Mandelson. Paddy Ashdown. Chucka Ramuna. Jack McConnell. Alistair Darling. David Willits. Dominic Grieve. And Amber Rudd. With a majority of what? Five. Yeah, but I there's a bunch of war criminals in that list. Well, what under what circumstances do you think that these people, if they had the same values or the same like view of the future, wouldn't have already like banded together in some kind of party? Mm. What could, what could possibly be the difference between I don't know Ken Clark and Paddy Ashdown? There's no difference. There's no real difference. Notice how old that list is. Oh, yeah, well. that's super old. Um, Chuck Ramuna's quite young. It is full. I mean, Chuck Ramuna aside and some of the sitting MPs. He's an old soul. <laughs> it's old and it's full of people who are fucking failures mm. and not noble failures. Oh, no, they're all failures. Um, that is, this, it's, Paddy this, Ashdown isn't that much a failure. He's, he's got a lot of blood on his hands. Um, Tony Blair <laughs> killed so many people. 
David I mean, Miliband helped. What you really view as a failure. <laughs> <laughs> David Miliband helped. Um, John Major's a failure. Ruth Davidson is a f massive failure. That's the one that always confuses me. Like, the con like Tories seem to think that Ruth Davidson is so amazing, and it's like she still hasn't won anything, really. She's like won her seat, and they've. But what's she done? The people who cry about um, identity politics mm. poisoning everything are the people who most pay attention to identity politics within the narrow political class. Mm. They're the people who say, oh, if Ruth Davidson becomes uh, Tory leader, for Jeremy Corbyn better watch out. As if, like, he's... Like, lesbianism is his kryptonite. Yeah. I, she's not a political lesbian. I mean, uh, she's a political lesbian, but she's yeah. not a, in one word, political lesbian. Yeah. She doesn't... I, I don't think she, like, uses... She doesn't particularly espouse policies that are going to make life better for women in general. Yeah. I don't... I mean, I But assume, she's not even liked in Scotland. No. Oh, yeah, no, well, she is, because she won the last... Oh, no, she didn't win the last election. No. That's full of people who didn't win elections. Um, well, no, they, you know, Tony Blair won an election. Tony Blair presided over a precipitous decline yes. in the Labour vote, so um, much so that when he finally left the part, the first time he left uh, left the Labour Party after... The, the first election after he left the Labour Party, Gordon Brown led it to its worst defeat since 1918. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, no. no that was are... Gordon Brown's fault. That was none of that. Was Tony Blair's fault. Tony's amazing. Toddy, oh, yeah, you're right. Toddy he is, is the best. He is, he is amazing. He left this huge legacy, except he's not responsible for any of the bad parts. No, he's not. Definitely but yeah, not. Like, that, like, that's the thing about these and people. And Hillary Clinton this... said David Miliband was really dashing. I'm sure he is dashing. He's not. Dashing from fucking tax haven to hack tax haven. <laughs> dashing from the Hague police. <laughs> dashing from the judgmental gaze was dead father <laughs> just running as fast as he can running as fast as he farm. can <laughs> every time he goes to sleep at night he runs like dogs do in their sleep <laughs> oh dad no uh, and you know what I wouldn't say that about Ed Miliband because no. Ed Miliband seems alright and oh he was a shit leader and a he coward he was a shit leader and a coward but you know he tried back. yeah he seems better on the back benches um, but here we go are they even if some names give you pause, each would be an improvement on what is available at present. These people are How? available at present. These people are available, and indeed, like, <clears throat> do you know who's not on that list? Hmm. Vince Cable. Yeah. <laughs> who's the? What? Well, let's set up some kind of centrist, pro-European, very liberal centrist party. Um, they should be in favour of democracy and liberalism. Yeah. How about the uh, Lib Dems? Yeah. Oh no, they're polling at six percent. <laughs> like that party would poll at literally zero percent. <laughs> Nobody wants it. How many times do we have to drill this into people's fucking skulls? They didn't vote for Jeremy Corbyn and um, Theresa May because they were dumb. Mm. They voted in them because they're the only people left standing. Mm. We've got a shit Tory f no f null future, mm. or you've got the slight glimmer of hope that Jeremy Corbyn brings. Mm. How have you? How do they consistently misjudge? No idea. The world around them are they hermetically sealed? into their houses or their businesses or whatever. This article comes to a lovely end with you should also know that conversations are taking place and um, and that with each passing month determination is growing. The funding is available. From the, who? The, From... Oh. <laughs> the funding is available. The brain power is being deployed. The policies worked up. The potential leaders being sounded out. If the next general election is held in 2022... My best bet is that the new party will launch about a year before. It's unlikely that it would win that first election. The first-past-the-post <laughs> voting system is a major block to a Macron-style moment. But it would certainly stop Mr Corbyn and begin to lay the groundwork <coughs> for the new politics that poor old Britain needs. 
To those in a position to make it happen, I wish courage, conviction and tenacity. And to those of you who would support it, keep the faith. I... Things can only get better. <laughs> I love how, like... Scumbags. <laughs> just moronic scumbags, a lot of them. They're all so dumb. I just, I, I love, like, all Willfully of these... Willfully ignorant. All of these, like, Radicals UK. Mm. And uh, there was another one, I think it was, like, um, act, uh, Activate... No, it wasn't no, that activate. Was Tories. There was a, there was another one that was like Activation Britain, which was another one of these yeah. uh, centrist parties that they tried to set up. Mm. And they're all really like they're all really hot on predictions. Yeah, they're all they they're, are. because they're congenital spreadsheeters. Yeah, they sit in front of spreadsheets and say, "Well, okay, let's let's approach this scientifically. If everybody votes for me, mm. then the party will do really well." <laughs> and yet. Even in their wildest political fantasies, even with all of the combination of faith and technology mm. that these people supposedly fucking espouse, every single fucking one of them never predicts their own victory. No. Ever. No. Ever. There was um there was a Lib Dem on the radio today who said if we had four thousand more votes, we would have had we would end up with nineteen seats. And it's like it's like yeah, you would. But if you didn't get those four thousand votes, and is that the height of your imagination? Because <laughs> it is. But you know, again, they yeah. want to be like Macron, and Macron's. And just before we go today, we'll just have a little check in with what's been going on with Macron. Um, yeah, because he's been going on a tour of Africa, a tour of. Oh, uh, he's been doing a whole international tour. Oh, is he? Yes. Well, the only bit I've been seeing is he's him making been, uh... making a tit of himself in Africa. So, like, France's relationship with their former colonial possessions <laughs> is a little bit different from Britain's because, like, yeah. Britain kind of withdrew and maintained. A certain level of contact, mm. uh, certainly a, 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 a commercial mm. contact with those countries, but a lot of I think the British companies kind of spun off to be international companies. So mm. the extent to which you can say African countries are still indebted to Britain in a in a specific sense mm. is probably not as great as France. Mm. France have specific. We've talked about it on the podcast mm. before. They have specific financial and military arrangements with their ex-colonies that means any new French leader has to go around Africa and make the, I think they call it the Franc-Afrique speech. Oh my God. Because they still have a shadow network of like shady businessmen, yeah. uh, army leaders and intelligence operatives that operate in those countries. Like the fat man today. in the white suit in Casablanca. Uh, very much so. <laughs> yeah, very much so. They yeah. still have that. So it's like a rite of passage. Yeah. But um, I saw he was in... Um, he did his speech in Ghana, was it, where he was talking about how he wants French to be the first language of the world? Uh, he... Let's see. Because that was particularly funny, because, you know, French. But he also... Went, I think he was in Burkina Faso, which is ironic. Most of that stuff came from uh, Burkina Faso. What was it? <laughs> yeah. Burkina Faso, where the French probably paid Thomas Sankara's to kill one, of, him. one of the things he did promise to do in Burkina Faso was declassify the rest of the files around Blaise Campayore's um, coup <laughs> over some, Thomas Sankara. Is he actually going to do it? I, I can't. Uh, Maybe he will. There's a lot. And then say it was all, it's all water under the bridge. The media coverage contained his actual words, which were a lot of really paternalist, patronising shit. Mm about France's relationship with Africa, like he was turning over a new leaf, but mm. never f letting them forget exactly where they stood. Mm. Um, but at the same time, all they would point out were he made, he, he hinted, uh, for instance, like uh, Ghana um, not, being able, not having to use the, um, the CFA franc, the central mm. 
The the bank. The yeah the, the basically uh, I think it's Ghana and there's like fourteen other African countries, mm. Chad, a few others, that still use. Uh, they have their own particular kind of currency, mm. but it's still minted in France. Yeah, it's still all created in France, which you know allows quite a strong hold of the French banking system over those African countries, which yeah. number among the poorest in the world, surprisingly, yeah. unsurprisingly enough. Um, so yeah, he was in Burkina Faso. Um, he's previously employed the word civilizational to describe Africa's economic challenges. Africa has a civilizational problem. Um, and claimed that uh, Africans had never sufficiently entered the stream of history. The thing is, Africa does have a civilizational pro- problem, and that, pro- that civilization that is Western is civilization. Our civilization yeah. and yeah. the relationship to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he in, he was in Burkina Faso and he said French will be the number one language in Africa and maybe even the world if we play our cards right in the coming decades. He said this in front of the president of Burkina Faso. <laughs> there's another, there's a, a much more amazing um, thing in, in Burkina Faso. Um, one of the students in the audience asked Macron what he would do in order to deal with the rampant power cuts in Burkina Faso. President Macron fired back, claiming that the student had addressed him as if he were a colonial master. He added that it was not his responsibility to look after the power, rather that it was the responsibility of the country's president. President Rochmark Kabor from Burkina Faso smiled in a good-natured way when Macron shot back the question. President Kabor later stood up and left the room in the middle of the speech. <laughs> After he left, Macron joked that he had gone to fix the air conditioning. Jupiterian. <laughs> You see, you can say all you want about wanting to turn over a new leaf with Af- your former your former imperialist possessions, yeah. but if you say shit like that, hmm. it doesn't really count for that much in how they feel. I saw he was complaining about the because um, you know they they have a lot to do. The French have a lot to answer for with what's happened in Libya, yeah. and when the question of open air slave markets was brought up, he brought up the fact that he's a black people doing it. <laughs> it's not- yeah. It's like, it, they're Africans, it's, it's their fault. But it's the way as well. He's a really... I don't know whether this... I've never watched He's any, very snippy. He's really snippy, yeah, that's what I was going to say. He really um, he really rounds on people when he's yeah. criticised. It it's doesn't... a really odd thing. I don't know I don't know if there's any French listeners, like, if they ever picked up on this in the coverage of him, that he is that it's, thin-skinned. Maybe it's, maybe it's to do with the fact that he wasn't a politician before. Like, he was just a businessman, wasn't he? He made a load of money in the stock market, but he was um, he was in Francois Hollande's cabinet. Was, oh shit! He was, was he? Yeah. I mean, I don't think he was elected. I think he, it was a, a an appointed position. We but... don't normally watch French politicians well, do no, that much. I mean, we don't. So maybe all French politicians are just snippy and French. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy. I, I would enjoy more of a kind of freedom of motion yeah. among our politicians. That's what's very refreshing about people like um, uh, John McDonnell and Barry Gardner. Hmm. But. Yeah, when you're when you're dealing with that kind of thing, he kept talking about how oh history doesn't matter now. I'm of a ge-, he was saying I'm of a generation that uh, didn't know colonialism and didn't know uh, and so are you, all of you young people. In yeah, so that was um, I saw that was that today or yesterday when he was telling off someone in Algeria. Yeah, um, and was it someone? Um, I can't remember which country it was. Someone asked him why are there more French soldiers in Africa than there are African students in French universities. And Macron's response was to tell them was to have a go at them, and tell them they should be they should be great they should, they should be full of gratitude for the sacrifices of French soldiers on African soil. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. It's a, a, a another question and answer session. 
Um, a student asked Macron about the high presence of French troops in her country. Macron rebu rebuked the question, saying, Imagine a young woman in France. She may never have heard of Burkina Faso, but her younger brother may have died in recent months to save you. You do not have your younger brother fighting on Belgian or French soil. Do not come and talk to me like that about French soldiers. The only thing you owe them is applause. That's Trump. That's a <laughs> yeah. Trump response. I just like the idea of, there is, a, there is a woman in France. Her brother died, put in place Camaro in charge of Burkina Faso. <laughs> <laughs> you should be grateful. Grateful. Um, speaking of the Libya uh, slave markets, I mean, mm. they, France has about 4,000 troops in Burkina Faso mm. right now, um, combating an Islamist insurgency, mm. um, supposedly. Mm. Well, not supposedly, they are doing it, but the presence of 4,000 foreign troops mm. on a soil inherently has an imperial relationship, yes. even if it wasn't, and especially when it comes to France and a former colonial. Did you ever notice that about liberal interventionism, that the people in the international community, meaning the West, mm -hmm. whenever they took action in another country, it would only be the soldiers from the former colonial oh, overlord it was, who, would inter having, who would take the lead. Remember like when all the liberals went all like, like, oh my God, France is so brilliant because France wouldn't go into Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. And then Libya, just, just the whiff of an opportunity in Libya yeah. comes and the French are like, yeah, let's go. Yeah. Because they couldn't give less of a fuck about a former British colony. Why would they give a fuck? Sierra Leone, mm. Britain, mm. Libya, France, uh, Syria, mm. uh, it's been Americans and French, Iraq, Americans and British. Mm. It's it's a, such a, a weird and yet perfectly ex explicable pattern. Yeah. Um, yeah, in response to those Libyan slave market comments, he also talked about increasing um, the policing and military intervention in Libya mm. in order to combat the like slave camps. Mm. He did say that there wouldn't be any French troops on the ground, but mm, you know, you know what those kind of promises mean. Yeah, he's in the feet, when people talk about, oh, we just need something sensible and fresh and different and new, and it's like this, you have the same old, same old. Yeah, this this man is a fucking monster. Hmm. So um, the other thing he did was uh, Algeria. Hmm. Uh, he said, coming to terms with our past means finding a way forward for those who were born in Algeria to be able to return, whatever their background. So he basically s uh, said that there's an issue in Algeria of the Harkis and the Pied Noirs. Yeah. Pied Noirs were the people, they the, were the white, white people French people who, who were lived born in Algeria. Because Algeria. Algeria was unlike a lot of other colonial possessions. It was actually a dépendement. It yeah. was considered a part of France. Yeah. They did not, that's why they fought so hard, because it's actually not that far from the French coast. No. I mean, I suppose it's, it's Ireland. Yeah. It's their Ireland. Yeah. Um, they considered it uh, an uh, indispensable part. Mm. And so there were a lot of uh, like white Alger people who were born in Algeria who, who wanted to go back. There was also a lot of Algerian troops who fought for the French during the War of Independence. They mm. were called Harkis. I mean, uh, from what I was reading, the closest translation in the Algerian language is Quisling. <laughs> um, and he's uh, proposing that they be allowed back. And obviously there's still a lot of Algerian War of Independence veterans alive. Or well, the like, president. Don't let them back. The president of Algeria yeah. is a veteran. He's like, don't let them back. Um, uh, after suggesting that the Haki should be given the right to return to Algeria, Mr. Macron offered to send back the skulls of Algerian fighters taken to France's trophies in the 19th century. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say it again. Jupiterian. <laughs> One of the 37 skulls housed at the National Museum of Natural History. Natural history, not history. <laughs> Sorry, they're just fucking hilarious in the Natural History Museum. Yep, in in Paris. Oh God. Um, she is that of Sheikh Bouzi. I'm massacring this. Um, like the French massacred the <laughs> Algerians. 
um, Bouzien, who led the colonial resistance during the 1849 Battle of Zacha, a village in northern Algeria where 800 people were massacred. The thing is, you know, like um, when they finished doing the Imperial War Museum up, um, yeah. we went there, mm. went there with the girls, and um, we were both really kind of skeeved out by the modern section of the Imperial War Museum, where they've got um, a few a full mural of Saddam Hussein, which seems like it was taken as tribute. Mm-hmm. Like, that skeeved us out. Imagine if you walked into the museum and here are a bunch of skulls that soldiers brought back. I mean, Say so, what you want about the British what... soldiers. We just brought back things like, you know, massive sculptures in the Parthenon. I mean, say what you want about Mexican drug cartels. When they deliver heads back to their defeated enemies, <laughs> they deliver them back whole, in a bag. <laughs> God. It's so weird. It's so... In a way, it's kind of... It's so much more like... um visceral that relationship having that immediate relationship with your imperial past like in britain it's very much like an intellectual thing um it's the it's the the battle over it is between what britain's thinks of itself now and what its relationship should be in the world it's it's all about like whether we should whether whether we should idolize someone like cecil rhodes yeah yeah brexit is part of what do we do with all these skulls brexit is part of that post-imperial hangover but like france have this like immediate direct (laughs) sorry all i can think is they've got like at the natural history museum they've like they've just come along come across a load of i don't know some fossils of like a dinosaur that they want to put some, like a new dinosaur exhibit. Yeah. So they need to get rid of the Algerian skull exhibit that they've got. It says it says so much that it was in the Natural History Museum, yeah. not like the Museum of War History or yeah. the Imperial War Gallery or whatever the equivalent is in France. Oh. <laughs> oh, it's just so horrifying. Um, even then, he got um, Macron got snippy. Um, of course he did. When asked by reporters about the past, a visibly annoyed Macron said it was time to stop asking questions from 20 years ago. <laughs> so long ago. Um, uh, the thing I want to end on, sorry, this is, yeah. this is, this is going on a long time. Um, something that I haven't, I had to look up. Mm. I hadn't seen it um, uh, covered that, that readily. Corsican nationalists. Mm. Corsica, if you don't know, is the island that Napoleon was from. Mm. Um halfway in the middle of the Mediterranean, halfway between Italy and France. Mm. It's been a French possession for about 300 years, I think. Um, Corsican nationalists have demanded talks with the French government over more autonomy after a convincing win in Sunday's regional election. And Macron has basically slapped them down and said there's no way you're getting independence. So you've got potentially another Catalonia situation. The the difference would be that Corsica's super poor. Yeah. It's a, it's always been really really poor, rural and poor. You can't you can barely even grow anything on there. It's yeah. Um, so yeah, he's got all the same kind of challenges that every other government has, hmm. and so far he seems to be, he's not dealing with any of them in a particularly liberal way. He's oh. dealing with them in the same way. And France's right wing have now recovered. We've yeah. got another um, candidate up. Mm. who's talking about, you know, purging Islam from school. This is not in the National Front. Mm. This is in their version of the Conservative Party, who's talking about purging Islam from schools and enacting austerity and all those kind of things. Mm. And it's like, yeah. And do you know what they'll do? Do you know what the Liberals once again tell them, tell everyone to, all the leftists to hold their nose and vote for Macron again? It doesn't matter what he does that's bad. At some point, that has to end. And in Britain... I think we've been lucky enough to reach that point yeah. where... Because we've had our Macron. It was Tony Blair. Yeah. You guys had him and yeah. he was shit. And then they tried a load of lesser Macrons, a load yeah. of lesser Blairs, and they didn't work. And they can 
they cannot fundamentally cannot deal with that possibility i do really like the idea of a party suddenly turning up in a year or so which is essentially vince cable wearing a baseball cap I thought you were going to say, like, Vince Cable wearing a fake moustache. <laughs> <laughs> I am Kids Vable. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah okay. that's us for this week. Yeah, that's um, us for this week. Hopefully we'll be back on track. Yeah, we're back on track now. now. Yeah, um, Yeah. if you've liked what you've heard, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes to mm-hmm. us. We don't talk about the weather. Mm-hmm. You can follow us at WDTATW underscore podcast. You can follow me at BM Bergamo and follow Hugh at Tanner Smashing. Yep. And that's us for this week. Thanks, guys. Bye.